Welcome to Urban Forum Northwest with your host, Eddie Rye. We have a full program today, one of the hottest topics in the city, and it also is right now in Olympia, and that is a, a disposition of uh, the, uh, the house of 23rd and East Pike that was purchased by the Seattle firefighters back in the 70s. And to that end, as guests today, we have Clarence Williams, we have a former fire chief, uh, Claude Harris, we have Roberto Jordan, and I think we have former fire chief Greg uh, Dean. Greg, are you on? Yes, I am. Okay, I just want to make sure. So what I'd like to do is, uh, uh, normally I would defer to Claude Harris, but since uh, Clarence has really been, and Roberto have been the vanguard of this thing, I'd like to have, because uh, I want uh, uh, Chief Harris and Chief Dean to come in later with all the how they succeeded with the Seattle Fire Department. So Clarence Williams, if you could go ahead and set the stage for where we are right now and let the listening public know exactly what the status is of the property at 23rd and East Pike. Hey, well, thank you very much, Eddie. And thanks for having us here today to talk about this. Right now, we are waiting for the executive board of the Seattle Black Firefighters Association active members to respond to our request to remove the house from the market for sale. The house went up on the market for sale without the approval of the active firefighters voting on it. And it was only done by the three person executive board members. And we think that that's improper. And the house is a, certainly a legacy in the community for many of the things that we have done over the years and things that we have planned to do uh, in future years to come. And we certainly don't want this landmark uh, building to end up uh, being sold from under our feet. And as you know, uh, this is Black History Month and it's unfortunate that we have to go through these kinds of things during this month of celebration. Uh, but as you know, land is very important and to uh, hold on to it is even more important uh, because it's one of those commodities that God is not making any more. So we want to hold on to everything that we have. Now, uh, if you were the former president of the Seattle Black Fire Association when they first entered into the agreement to purchase the property, is that correct? Yes, sir. That's correct. And at that particular time, how many uh, Black firefighters were there in, uh, on the, uh, in the department? Oh, I, it was probably, it was in the seventies. We had about 35, maybe to 40 uh, firefighters at the time. It, my, my numbers may be off, uh, but I think it was in that neighborhood. Okay. And then uh, Roberto Jordan was also a former president of the Seattle Black Firefighters Association. So I'd like to have you comment on uh, what occurred while during your tenure and where we are now with uh, this disagreement with three people. I really would like to have somebody, I know their names in the Seattle medium, but we'd like to let people know who they are three people speaking for an entire board. I know at the press conference uh, on uh, yesterday that uh, uh, Cord Cornell mentioned the fact that he was an active firefighter and uh, I guess a lot of folks didn't know about him. So uh, uh, Roberto, go right ahead. Hey, hey thanks for uh, having me, Eddie. And uh, hello to everybody. Um, the board consists of Doug Johnson, who's the uh, president, probably about 20 years. Um, Huli Edwards, and that's uh, spelled J-U-L-I, um, and Hilton Jones. Um, those are the, the three members of the board. 
Um, uh, and as Clarence said, at, at one time, our numbers were about 125. Um, right now, they sit at uh, 42. And uh, the problem with the uh, with this whole scenario is that uh, except for the three board members, none of the other members of the uh, Seattle Black Firefighters knew that the house was even for sale. Um, Clarence had somebody that called him and told him that there was a for sale sign. Clarence asked me if I knew anything about it. I said, I didn't know anything about it. I told him it must have been pointing at a different house, that there was no way in the world that they were showing it to the Black Firefighter house. And so then as I was calling active firefighters that are still working today, none of them knew that the house was up for sale. They had no idea whatsoever. They were shocked. And so um, I told them that you might want to call your president and ask them what was going on. So then what he did was um, sent out a text to um, all the other black firefighters that were active and told them that, yes, the house is up for sale. And that was the first that they ever heard about it. Then they didn't vote on it. Um, the, as I said, those three people made that decision. And uh, Robert Davis, uh, retired fire, I think he's a battalion chief, made a very significant remark at the press conference when he indicated that when you guys, and I guess Claude Harris, as well as uh, Chief Dean, when you guys uh, were involved, that there was information about promotions, there was information about, there was session with new recruits on Saturday mornings, and would you attribute uh, the lack of effort to the current administration of the Black Firefighters Organization? Um, yes, Doug was, there, there was a, we had put together a, um, a program where the people that were coming in, it didn't matter what your nationality was, what your gender was. And so the Black Firefighters offered to volunteer on Saturdays so that the recruit class is what they call when you're getting trained. The recruit class could come down on Saturday practice on the things that they had learned during the week, just so that the next week when they were timed on them, when they were tested on them, things of that nature, they had extra time to be able to learn learn their craft, right? So that it became natural to them. Um, Doug uh, was was going down there, he was doing it. And then pretty soon they started, uh, the city, the, the department thought it was good enough. So they started paying them to do it. And then um, Doug came and said that we should stop that policy because the department was um, uh, also doing some training on the on the same ground, and so I thought it was kind of weird. Uh, talked to the chief, told the chief that he was wishing that that didn't happen, but since Doug was the one that was the main one down there doing it, so it ended up uh, stopping. So we ended up um, uh, losing uh, that program down there. I like to go now to the historical figure on the Zoom call, and that's. Uh, former uh, Seattle Fire Chief uh, Claude Harris, who uh, endured quite a bit. I think he was a solo act when he first joined uh, the Seattle Fire Department. So welcome to Urban Forum Northwest, uh, Chief Claude Harris. I'd like to have you share some of the history of uh, the struggle of the black firefighters. I know you guys went to district courts, uh, Superior Court, and Lim Howe took you to Supreme Court. So I'd just like to have you comment on some of the history, Chief Harris. I think Chief Harris is muted. So is uh, uh, Chief Dean, are you on right now? Yes, I am. Okay, why don't you let's go ahead and we'll let Chief Harris fill in after you. Let the uh, people know what time, when you joined the fire, Seattle Fire Department and give us a little idea of how you ascended to the top job in Seattle. Okay, well, thanks, Eddie. Thanks for having us. Um, I joined the department in 1970. 
And um, some of my memories are us spending time up at camp. Eddie, you allowed us to come up to camp. And that's where we started having our meetings with the black firefighters. And we, uh, what it allowed us to do is we became closer and we started studying together and it allowed me to be able to study and get successful. But our time at camp also taught us that we needed to have a place where we would leave a legacy for the community. And that's how we ended up uh, buying the house. And then we started using the house and it made us visible in the community. And those, those, those are the, the, the points that I hope um, President Johnson and all those others are actually listening in on this call because they need to hear why it is that we find this important, why we think it's important that, we, that we're do, what we're doing today so that we're leaving a legacy for the community and for our, 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 our sisters and brothers to have someplace that all of us can call home. Yeah, I certainly understand that, sir. And, it, you know, with the displacement of, and, uh, of Blacks in the central area, uh, as I talked to Clarence earlier, uh, Representative Sharon Tomiko Santos has sent me some information I'm going to pass on to Roberto and Clarence uh, about having the property designated as a historic landmark. It also comes with funding so you can embellish upon the property. Uh, but to sell two lots in 23rd and Pike right down the street from some high rises where $675,000 is just unimaginable to me. So how long did it take you to uh, uh, get to the top? You joined in 1970. How long did it take you to accentuate to the top? Um, about 34 years. Okay. So I, then, I, I spent, I spent um, almost 45 years in the fire department, in Seattle's fire department. Mm -hmm. And then you became chief of the Washington, D.C. department. Correct, for another five years. And now you retired down there in Miami. It's, it's, it's called, yes, the, the warm weather, as they, as they call it. All right. Well, I just want to let you know that uh, two weeks ago, we had your niece, Asha Dean, on. And a matter of fact, she actually moderated the last part of the program. She didn't think I had peeped her bio. I know she majored in journalism. She did an outstanding job. She'll be outstanding talk show host for somebody one of these days. Have we been joined by uh, Chief Claude Harris yet? Yeah. Can you hear me? We sure can, sir. Okay. Historic Chief Claude Harris. So we definitely want to hear about uh, about your story because a lot of young people don't know what, what you went through. And as a matter of fact, not, they don't want to teach it in school anymore about what black folks had to endure in the country. <laughs> Absolutely. Okay. As of uh, January 5th, 1959, there were no black firefighters within the Seattle Fire Department. I came in January 5th, 1959, and um, I was there a short time. And then I was thinking maybe I made a mistake. During my 38-year tenure in the fire department, I tell people I almost retired or left the fire department some 25 times. Five of those times, I was as serious as a heart attack. I was the only Black firefighter for nine years. And my job was to recruit other black firefighters because uh, if you go to the wonder to get some air and we weren't using masks back then, uh, you could probably get fired. So if we had some other firefighters that were black, they wouldn't know who was at the wonder. But if I go to the wonder, they would uh, recognize me right away. So I had to deal with that. But at any rate, um, 
I was in there uh, seven years and I uh, decided to take the exam for a lieutenant. I, I didn't think I was as smart as other people, but I thought I knew and could learn as much as other people. So I moved through the ranks from uh, uh, lieutenant to captain. And one of the people that came in the class with me was Robert Swartout. He was uh, battalion chief at the time. And I was just trying to keep my head down so I, they didn't fire me. But uh, a job came open for the chief of the department and Swartout and I were good friends. And I told him, man, you need to run for this job. And he looked at me and said, why the hell can't you run for the job? I said, I'm just a captain. He says, so what? And he walked away. I gave that some thought and I ran for the job. And I, uh, there, there were 40 people that were vying for that job from all over the United States. And I came in number five. That shook the department up. They said, he's a captain now. If he gets to become a battalion chief, he'll become chief of the department. We got to do something about that. So what happened for the first time and the only time, it was 50% for the written examination and 50% for the oral examination. They said, that guy can talk pretty good. Let's cut into that oral. So they went to civil service and they fixed it up. So the oral was 35%. The written was 50%, and then there was a 15% point for evaluations by any supervisor, meaning a battalion chief, that you had over the last two years. And um, needless to say, I got the lowest uh, score in my battalion chief test because of that uh, evaluation. We took it to court. And I'm bringing that up because when we bought the house, we had the expense of the house and we had the expense of going through court. We had to hire an attorney and we went through municipal court. We went through state Supreme Court and eventually we went to federal Supreme Court. That costs money. We had to increase dues to hang on to the house and pay for the uh, legal um uh, predicaments that we were in. And this legal predicament wasn't just to help us. It was to help every black and brown man and woman working for the city. It dealt with recruitment, promotion, and retention. Well, I could go on and on. I think I'd do that if you asked you me. No, what I mean, no, that, that was good because what I, we have about seven minutes left. I want to, because we also have a fight on our hands and you were at the press conference. And I, I heard that Clarence talked about what we happened because we, I think that we really need to get that up on the retired black firefighters uh, <laughs> website about all the trials and tribulations. I was glad that uh, Cairo did the job they did by going and actually sit, uh, uh, showing the historical uh, press clippings. But I want to talk to Roberto and Clarence and also I want Gregory Dean to jump in. What is the next step to, to, uh, about getting this house back? Well, the next step is we're going to be meeting uh, with the president of the Seattle Black Firefighters Association, Doug Johnson, on tomorrow, Friday, uh, with his board, hopefully everyone will be there, to try and come to some conclusion about whether or not 
the house will be removed from the market. Uh, we certainly made some overtures as to what we're willing to do uh, in case there's costs incurred. And I understand that that should not be, uh, but we are willing to do whatever is necessary to uh, to make sure that this house can come off the market and it's not sold to the buyer. So our big uh, plea now or our request is to have the Seattle Black Firefighters Executive Board who put it on the market to withdraw it from the market. And we're asking the uh, person who have made the offer and ready for closing to withdraw his offer, their offer, whomever they are. Steve, mute your dog. <laughs> in honor, in Just honor, put it on mute, we won't hear the puppy. <laughs> yeah. Okay, sorry, I'm sorry about that. So that's okay. Okay. And what we want to we we want both parties who are involved in this sale transaction to withdraw so that this historical landmark doesn't go by the wayside. So that's the pressure that we'll be putting on, and that's what we'll hopefully discussing uh, on tomorrow. And hopefully we can come back next week, Eddie, and tell you we made some progress and it didn't sell. Uh, so now I understand that. Uh... Roberto, you had there was another another issue that came up, and now this meeting uh, we got we we have uh, the mayor of Seattle involved in, in in trying to resolve this too, right? Mayor Bruce Harrell's uh, trying to resolve this issue, Roberto. Um, I think that you can't uh, tell. <laughs> yeah, right, right. And so um, you know that's mayoral business. Um, I've heard that the um, that the um, uh, local twenty seven had reached out to the uh, mayor. And so, uh, I mean, Bruce is born and raised in Seattle. Um, the Seattle Black Firefighter House is right down the street from the uh, high school that he went to, um, right up the street from the college that he graduated from. And so he cares about the city and he cares about, um, he cares about everybody pretty much and, and what, is, uh, what is a passion to us and what our legacy is. And um, there've been a lot of uh, Seattle Black firefighters, men and women that have come through there and they've put their blood, sweat and tears in that house and also in helping other um, men and women to uh, come into uh, the fire department. And the, the house was a vehicle to do that, whether it be for training, come through there for training. Of, uh, we use it for voter registration drives. We've used it for uh, first aid classes. We've had CPR classes in there uh, for the community that have, that have gone on. Um, the Black firefighters were using it uh, even for fellowship when they were meeting up there on Mondays for breakfast up until the pandemic came around. And so um, the, the, the mayor's going to be concerned because we're part of his constituency. And so right. he'd like to have things be smooth with us and, this, and the city. Okay, I want to give uh, Chief Greg Dean, he just had a little short so so, Greg, you want to have any comment before we uh, check out? Well, yes. So, you know, uh, they want to sell the house. They're talking about doing scholarships and, and scholarships are good. But our brothers and sisters being visible in the community is priceless. And that is really what why we're concerned about this. And, um, you know, this piece of property has brought us all together. It continues to keep us together. And we are, you know, we are trying everything possible to uh, have the board listen to us. You know, you talk to Claude and, and myself and Roberto and, and, and Clarence, we, you know, officers, you know, some of us have been chiefs, uh, presidents of, of the Black Firefighters Association. Why have we been successful? 
because we're willing to listen to others to help guide us. We're not seeing that with this current um, uh, administration. We've given them off ramps, they're not using them. And so we're forced to, to, to kind of make this a larger picture because this is an important part of our community and we wanna leave a legacy within that community. Okay, Clive, we got one minute, go ahead. One more thing I wanna say, we let everyone in. We, let, we had offices up there for the black uh, police officers. We had offices up there for the black transit uh, workers. Uh, we invite people in for breakfast. We have a discussion about people running for office. We invite candidates in. So we are active in the community and That's we right. need to keep this. Okay, until, until victory is won, I want to thank uh, former CL Fire Chief Claude Harris, former CL Fire Chief Gregory Dean, former CL Black Firefighters Association President Roberto Jordan, and CL former, and the internet, both of them were, I guess, on the International Board of Professional Black Firefighters and Clarence Williams. So, hey, thank you all. And uh, we'll be talking to you soon next week if we have something to report. I also want to let you know that I did get a call from the Executive Director of the Commission on African American Affairs. And they are very moved by this. Uh, they're collaborating, and hopefully a statement will be put out later this afternoon in support of what you're trying to do. So okay. thank you very much, gentlemen. Appreciate y'all. Okay. Thank you. Thank you. I want to thank the audience for listening. All right. Now, thank you, Chief. Okay. Right. Okay. Right. My next guest is uh, Latanya uh, Witherspoon, owner of Spoon Fed Training. And uh, I wanted to talk to her about... Uh, how she endured during this COVID because, you know, training is kind of up close. I know it's safe because uh, my wife and my daughter go there. As a matter of fact, my daughter, Angela and Latanya are, are God sisters. So Latanya, how are you doing today? I am excellent. How are you? Okay. Okay. Uh, we uh, have just finished talking to the black Fire. I guess you probably have heard about it because we were parking in uh, the Mount Calvary parking lot for the, for the uh, press conference yesterday, but yes. talk to us about, uh, First of all, let people know who you are, what your business is about, and then I want to talk about the challenges that you had to face during this COVID crisis. Sure. So as you mentioned, my name is Latanya Witherspoon. I own my gym called Spoon Fed Training in Renton, Washington. It's right up the street from the Renton Municipal Court. And so uh, I do personal training as well as we have uh, multiple different classes that are here uh, that we host, uh, one cardio boxing, one strength training class, and then a step aerobic class. I'm extremely passionate about helping people live a healthy lifestyle um, and stressing the importance of just moving, especially now that ever. There's so many people that are struggling with a lot of health challenges. So just trying to get people to understand how important it is to move um, and just especially trying to help our community, which is so desperately needed um, in allowing, you know, the youth to see that there are Black-owned, women-owned gyms that are here. And so I'm excited about this opportunity, and thank you for um you know, allow me to express everything that's been going on here. What I'd like to have you also do is if you could give the, uh, the listeners some kind of overview of the kind of classes, uh, uh, you know, the availability and if there's a website so they can go and check out everything before they call you to make a reservation, uh, they might be able to do, uh, do it online. Yeah, so my website is training. Dot com and that's S-P-O-O-N-S-E-D training.com. And so we have our classes Monday through Friday, so it's 6 a.m. to 7 a.m., and then Monday through Thursday, 6.30 p.m. to 7.30 p.m., and we also have a morning class on Saturday at 9 a.m. So our 9 a.m. class on Saturday is the bounce aerobic class, and Monday, Wednesday, Friday, 
is our strength and strength training class, and Tuesday, Thursday, our cardio boxing. We are, it's not a drop-in gym, so it has to be appointment only. We do have drop-in for our classes. We offer one free um, complimentary class for those to come check it out. Um, we have, our drop-in is 17, but we have unlimited classes for the month for 149. And then we have different packages for personal training, and we do 30-minute sessions or 60-minute se- sessions. I've trained, you know, all ages from youngest to from six day, six to I think the oldest I've trained was 86. So I have experience in training uh, many people uh, who have a lot of different um, backgrounds or um, different fitness levels from beginner all the way to professional athletes. I've trained, you know, well, we're all in Seattle, so I've trained Richard Sherman. I've trained Cam Chancellor, Nate Robinson, uh, a, a lot of other local um, athletes, uh, high school athletes, college collegiate athletes. So I have a I have some experience behind my belt, but again, I'm I'm more so passionate just helping everyone, you know. So, in a nutshell, that is who I am and what I do. Uh, now, wh- how can people? Do you have a website that you can people yes. can go to and check you out? Yes. So, spoonfedtraining.com is my website, and they have we have our schedule on there for our classes, and then you have an opportunity on you know, scheduling a free, a free consultation as well. So if you're wanting to come in and we kind of just sit down and talk about everything that you're looking for or that you're trying to do for throughout your fitness journey, we could sit down and go over all that. And that is free. So a free consultation. Um, and we do, you know, taking your measurements, your BMI, just so you can keep track of your progress as well as trying to put you on a nutrition plan, which is extremely important. Now, that's something different. Explain how the nutrition pro plan works out with the workouts. So everyone's, well, everyone's pretty it's different. So if someone is coming in, they're wanting to lose weight, then we're putting you on a – the way I do my – so during the consultation, we talk about what your day looks like. And so that's from the time you wake up, like what are you eating, what is your breakfast, are you snacking throughout the day, what is your dinner, your lunch. And so usually – in most cases, from my experience, there are many people who are only eating one meal, maybe two. So the problem is that they're going entirely way too long without eating or they're skipping meals. And what you're doing is you just slowed your metabolism down, which is making it a lot harder to lose weight. So ultimately, everyone needs to be making sure they're eating enough, not going hours without eating and making sure you're eating the right things. So we just sit down and talk about what the right things look like. And I, I'm one of those where I like to make it when you're when you're creating a nutrition plan, you don't want to be dreading what you're going to be eating. So you want it to fit your schedule. So we try to figure out what are the things you like to eat and then go through that list on, okay, well, that's not healthy for you, but we can maybe substitute it with this. Um, so that's how we do the nutrition plan. I also do Herbalife Nutrition. So it's um, with meal replacement shakes, which are very, very tasty. And we have a smoothie bar here in my gym as well. So a lot of people after our classes, they'll um, pay for a smoothie and, we make them a smoothie. It's really, really, really good. So, well, there's options. Yeah. So, is that where your god sister Angela Rye got her new diet from? Well, you know, I try to push her every day. You know, that's a busy woman, but <laughs> I love her. We're going to be starting our virtual trainings here soon. Yeah, she's uh, in Philadelphia now, giving a speech, and she's her uh, cousin's sons will be uh, getting a, a college tour the 15th through the 17th. And she also is doing some interviews for the NBA All-Star game. So we'll be seeing her. So uh, 
I want to thank you very much for all you're doing. And if anything comes up, make sure you give me a call so we can get the information out. But give the folks your website one more time, Tanya. Sure. So Spoon Fed Training, that's S-P-O-O-N-F-E-D training.com. And the phone number to Spoon Fed Training. And sure, 425-524-7386. So hopefully you all come out, check me out. Uh, we are looking for, you know, some help. I'm looking to hire trainers. So if you know anyone, please send them my way or they can email a resume at spoonfedtraining at gmail.com. All right, Latanya Witherspoon, Auto Speed Spoon Fed Training, and the trainer of many prominent people. So thank you very much for your time today, and we'll stay in touch. Thank you for having me. Have a good day. All right, now. Okay, we're going to take a break and come back with our next guest after this. Hi, my name is Mian Rice, the Diversity of Contracting Director for the Port of Seattle. As a public agency, the Port of Seattle serves the community, and our investments should benefit everyone who lives and works here. The Port is committed to equity, diversity, and inclusion, and to leveling the playing field. That means continuing to open doors to contracting opportunities to all, especially women and minority-owned and disadvantaged businesses. How can you participate? List your business in Vendor Connect, a database of contractors. Attend PortGen workshops to learn how to do business with the port. Learn more about contracting opportunities at portseattle.org. For more information on operating a concessions at Seattle Tacoma International Airport, visit lease.seataxshops.com. Why sit in bumper-to-bumper traffic when you can hop on Link Light Rail and fly by the gridlock? It's a smoother, easier, stress-free way to get where you want to go. Whether you're heading north to Capitol Hill and the University of Washington or south to Columbia City, Tukwila, and the airport, Link Light Rail will get you there quickly and safely. And if you have an ORCA card, even better. Just tap on the yellow card reader when you get on and listen for the beep to let you know your card has been accepted. Then tap your card reader again once you've reached your destination and listen for the double beep to let you know you've tapped off correctly. To find the closest Link Light Rail station or to learn how to get an ORCA card, just go to soundtransit.org and type Link Light Rail into the search bar. Sound Transit's Link Light Rail. Just another way that Sound Transit is powering progress. Tell your friends about Alternative Talk 1150. Eddie Wright back at Urban Forum Northwest. My next guest is Patricia Lee. She is one of the leaders, uh, I guess, of the Port of Seattle chapter of Blacks in Government and is responsible for organizing uh, the King's Ball that will be held on February 19th. So, Ms. Patricia, thank you very much for taking the time out to be here. Why don't you fill our listeners in with what's going to be going on February 19th? Thank you so much, Eddie. It's such a pleasure to be again with you today. Yes, we are having an in-person 2022 King's Ball. It's going to be held, as you noted, on February the 19th, 2022 at the Seattle Airport Marriott. And we have some wonderful community uh, electeds who will be joining us. Uh, Our newly elected Mayor Bruce Harrell will be our guest. Uh, We also have two of our new Port of Seattle Port Commissioners, Sam Cho and Hamdi Mohammed, who has hit the ground doing some really exciting work at the Port of Seattle and in the community. Uh, Marilyn Strickland has also reached out to me 
Um, and as I reached out to her, and she will be joining us as well um, to share something with the community. So we're very excited about this. We'll have live muted music uh, for dining and dancing. Um, and we just want to come together and uh, have community engagement around this beloved community of ours. Of course, you will be there. Yes, I will be. As a matter of fact, I've been invited to sit at the SeaTac Bar Group LLC table. Uh, that's the, a group uh, that owns uh, the African Lounge and the Mountain Bar on Concourse A. Yes, so I was yes. Jerry Whitson and Rod O'Neill. So I'll be joining their table. That's beautiful. We have quite a few vendors um, that will be joining us um, during this uh, event. And we hope that the community will come out and support uh, the legacy of our named county king, uh, the work of both Dr. Martin and Coretta Scott King. So we're really looking forward to it. We want our audience to know that this is an event where every attendee will need to be vaccinated and provide proof of that vaccination at the check-in, as well as we have event rates for those who'd like to spend the night. Um, you just need to call in. We also have a booking link out on Eventbrite where you can get this discounted information. So anyone that would like to know more information can either reach out to Eddie at the station or give us a call at 206-822-8317. And um, we will be glad to answer any of your questions. I would also want to just go into uh, uh, the organization. Uh, uh, the, you know, Blacks in government, a lot of people say that the numbers have really fallen off. A lot of it has to do with people who are really active and retired. And the other fact is, is that uh, not as many of us are being hired as usual. And we hear about all these jobs being open, but what kind of jobs are they? So can you just share with us a little uh, historical overview about uh, Blacks in government and the, specifically the Port of Seattle's chapter? That was, you know, I know Delmas and those guys are, have been involved, and Kenny Lyles and, and, yes. uh, and my retired sister. But anyway, go right ahead. Absolutely. The two names that you uh, referenced, uh, Kenneth Lyles and Delmas Whitaker, are both immediate past presidents of this organization and pillars of Blacks in government. We do have a new president this year that I'd like to uh, recognize, who is Don Hunter, who will be at this event and who is already representing the Port of Seattle chapter of Blacks in government um, with her work. To share a little bit of his history around this organization, it did come out of uh, federal employees in Washington, D.C., who found a need to coalesce and come together around issues and to advocate on behalf of employees who work with government. And that has spread nationally. We have 11 regions in this organization and more than 3,000 employees who work to advocate from EEO and all areas of employment where we advocate for all people. Yes, we are called Blacks in Government, because that is how it began. But if we look at a picture of Port of Seattle Blacks in government, we will see that we are a, div a diverse group and that we reference and work with all people who come uh, for our assistance in terms of advocating on people um, who work in, in government. I know that to be true because Luis Navarro was once a vice president of Seattle, uh, Port of Seattle's chapter of Blacks in government. So I know that to be true. Now, I know with the uh, COVID thing right now, people are getting back, like you're having this event. 
Uh, Blacks and government used to have uh, regional conferences and stuff. Do they still have statewide and regional conferences? You will have that this year. Um, this year, I was elected as the new president, the regional council president for Region 10, which uh, includes Oregon, Washington, Alaska, uh, Idaho, and Montana. And I will look that up because I do know that we don't have any chapters in the two states that are east of us, but we are working to uh, coalesce and reach out to those areas as well. But yes, Port of Seattle chapter is very strong. It's an internal organization that's supported by our leadership. And we've done some exciting things right after the George Floyd piece, um, our executive director and Blacks in Government and our Office of OEDI, Equity, Diversity, and Inclusion, led by Bukta Gesar, um, put in place policies around chokeholds and things of that nature. So the work continues. Blacks in mm -hmm. Government is engaged. Yes, I understand that Blacks in Government was a large group uh, many years ago. The work still remains, Eddie, and even mm -hmm. if we are not as large in numbers, the committed the committed members remain. And we, we believe in big, we believe in the work of big, and um, we continue this work. So we really- do you, do, Would you attribute the, the, the uh, lack of numbers to the fact, lack of opportunities for African descendants of the United States enslaved black folks? Would you attribute that to that as well? In terms of the membership, are you asking? In terms, in terms of uh, black people working for, for government agencies. We know in Washington, D.C. what it looks like. Okay. That's why they didn't want to make D.C. a state because it had two black senators and a black member of Congress. But at that, at that uh, population is changing drastically. So they might become a state without a brother or sister, a senator or member of Congress. So that's the way it goes, especially when you see the way this redistricting thing is working to make sure the black folks are not uh, included or, or represented. And uh, I was telling a friend of mine, you know, it's really something to have black men and women in the U.S. military all around the world fighting for someone else's freedom when they people don't have, have the, the right to vote right here at the home. And they're wearing these stars and stripes all around the world. But then when it comes down to having equal representation, voting rights at home where they need to be fighting. But anyway, I'll leave that alone. So once again, right, let's go. That's why we have you. That's why we have you <laughs> as a drum major for justice and a call to action. I mean, you, you've, you've been tireless in that regard. So for that, we appreciate you. But also, as you talk about why we feel that it's attributed, um, there are many um, organizations out there that are doing similar things. And I just think that the pot is kind of divided. We do have a lot of members that are at large that have retired and are doing other kinds of things. And I just think it behooves us to align ourselves with organizations that are doing similar things in the community as we did earlier in this, this struggle, like King, he aligned himself and that was a collective. That was a meeting of the minds and people worked toward one goal. When we are divided, we're weakened. We are stronger together. That's a motto um, that I've shared. Um, my friend who is Denise Tyler, the National Policy Alliance in Washington, DC, that's their slogan that we are stronger together. And I think that as we build back, it will be important for us to align ourselves with people of like mind and like energy. You know, it yes. takes, we need to be at the table where policy is being made 
and things that are sustainable in our community, not just a sound bite, Eddie. Okay, I just wanted before we go, is the event on February 19th in SeaTac Marriott sold out? I'd love to say that. <laughs> we have sold our allotted tables. We do still have tickets, individual tickets, online at Eventbrite under the uh, 2022 King Ball. You can do a search on Eventbrite. But right now, we're not closing down. The hotel said we could add tables if we needed to. But we also want to keep the number manageable uh, because of this health disruption. We want everyone to come, have a great time, feel safe, leave safe. So thank you so much for okay. this city. Thank you very much, Patricia Lee, for all the work you're doing. And give my regards to all the folks working with you at the Port of Seattle uh, chapter of Blacks in Government to bring off the King's Ball February 19th to SeaTac Marriott. So thank you very much and have a good weekend. I'll see you next Saturday. Thank you, Eddie. See you there. All right now. Okay, Eric, we're going to take a break and then we'll come back with our next guest after that. Hi, my name is Mian Rice, the Diversity and Contracting Director for the Port of Seattle. As a public agency, the Port of Seattle serves the community and our investments should benefit everyone who lives and works here. The Port is committed to equity, diversity, and inclusion, and to leveling the playing field. That means continuing to open doors to contracting opportunities to all, especially women and minority-owned and disadvantaged businesses. How can you participate? List your business in Vendor Connect, a database of contractors. Attend PortGen workshops to learn how to do business with the Port. Learn more about contracting opportunities at portseattle.org. For more information on operating a concessions at Seattle Tacoma International Airport, visit lease.seataxshops.com. Why sit in bumper-to-bumper traffic when you can hop on Link Light Rail and fly by the gridlock? It's a smoother, easier, stress-free way to get where you want to go. Whether you're heading north to Capitol Hill in the University of Washington or south to Columbia City, Tukwila, and the airport, Link Light Rail will get you there quickly and safely. And if you have an ORCA card, even better. Just tap on the yellow card reader when you get on and listen for the beep to let you know your card has been accepted. Then tap your card reader again once you've reached your destination and listen for the double beep to let you know you've tapped off correctly. To find the closest Link Light Rail station or to learn how to get an ORCA card, just go to soundtransit.org and type Link Light Rail into the search bar. Sound Transit's Link Light Rail. Just another way that Sound Transit is powering progress. All right, Eddie Ryan back at Urban Forum Northwest with my host, my co host most of the time, Miss Jamie Elmore. <laughs> publisher of uh, Ball Life Magazine and founder uh, of the Alopecia uh, Support Group, and uh, Miss Jewel Pearson, uh, who is renowned and nationally known for uh, Tiny House uh, uh, docuseries she had. So I want to start with Jamie, and I uh, want her just to bring me update on what she's doing right now and how she relates to uh, Miss Jewel here. Well, thank you so much for having me here, Mr. Rye. I appreciate you always giving me a voice and a platform to be on your show. So we have a lot of things going on um, for the Bald Life magazine and for the Alopecia Support Group. We uh, will be releasing our uh, volume six 
of Vault Life Magazine on February the 21st. It will be featuring um, couples and some other amazing things. So you guys are gonna have to go out and purchase the magazine. We will also be um, part participating in the second parade in Annapolis, Maryland for the Juneteenth parade. So we'll be flying down for that. And we have some anthologies coming up and we just have a lot of things going on. Mr. Rye. That's always good to hear. Now, uh, I want to know about how you and Miss Jewel Pearson got together and hooked up. Wow. Well, we actually connected through another mutual friend of ours. And um, she told me a little bit about Jewel. I did some little research. We talked on the phone and we just hit it off. And I found out much more information about Jewel as I started talking to her, finding out what she's all about concerning the tiny house movement. And so that's how we connected. And Ms. Jewel, why don't you introduce yourself to our listening audience? Uh, Jewel Pearson, you have uh, a nationally acclaimed individual and why don't you share some of that background with our listening audience? Well, thank you so much to both of you for having me on this afternoon. My name is Jewel Pearson. Uh, on social media, I am known as Miss Bohemian Soul and I built a tiny house in 2015 um, and I am, I was probably one of the first or few um, Black people, people of color that had been seen in the movement at that time. And since that time, I have just been working within the movement, within, um, um, for housing advocacy, as well as sharing my journey and my story um, for us, especially for our community to understand tiny houses and the benefits they offer to, um, to our community for opportunities to get to home ownership quicker, um, wealth building, all of that good stuff that our community could benefit from. And you have uh, several other uh, attributes as well, in, in, besides the, the tiny homes, what are those? My other attributes, so um, I think that's my main thing. I've been um, kind of pushing tiny houses. My tiny house has been featured on HGTV. Um, it's been featured um, within apartment therapy and a docu-series, The New Homesmiths. I live in a tiny house that actually won um, some awards for a short feature. Uh, and then I am doing some of my own work in, as far as consulting and workshops and um, sharing the movement and housing advocacy. I want um, tiny houses to become tiny houses on wheels specifically to become more of a legal option throughout the country. And so working in that area um, as well. Well, you know, a group of uh, black clergy, uh, uh, Pastor Lawrence Ricky Willis, uh, Pastor Willie Seals Jr. and others uh, have uh, developed this tiny home village, uh, uh, not as elaborate as yours, but it's getting people off the streets. And mm -hmm. then, you know, it's right off yesterday, right across from Langston Hughes, that's 30 and it is doing something because a lot of those people are transitioning to a better yeah. housing, a better living condition. So it is, it's, it's really a, a saving, a, a grace to pour in. Uh, Pastor Willis has people training to actually build these houses. And, you know, it's like a pre-apprenticeship program. So I think oh, that's nice. something new. But the other thing I think about is that uh, we spend uh, the our armed services budget is $780 billion dollars. If okay. we took 10% of that, we could almost end homeless in America. But anyway, Absolutely. That's, not, that's not up to me. So, Absolutely. Uh, okay. So uh, in terms of uh, 
do you work directly with uh, government entities and trying and other community organizations and trying to develop these tiny houses? I am not currently, but I'm open to that um, that opportunity for sure. Um, trying to make some of those connections. Right now, I'm working more locally within my local area and then assisting others in their areas as they want my assistance. But I am absolutely looking for an opportunity to to move this um, a little uh, more with pairing or collaborating with some other entities for sure. Yeah, because, you know, right now, they, they keep one of the biggest problems is homelessness everywhere. Absolutely. It seems like you, housing. Have, mm -hmm. you have a solution. So I think that your local, you're in Charlotte, North Carolina? Right, I am, yes. I'm certainly that, uh, boy, the mayor and the city council and the county commissioners and the state legislators, I think, will be listening to you. I think that's so you, you have, you have, you have solved a, a problem. At least give them an idea on how to solve the problem. They're unfortunately they're not paying attention to it because they're chasing the high dollar. Um, and it, it, I'm not I've not said to anybody that it is is the solution for houselessness or for affordability, but it is absolutely an opportunity that needs to be looked at. And right now they're not paying as much attention to it, um, especially not on the East Coast. Now the West Coast is doing an excellent job of utilizing tiny houses on wheels, but the East Coast is slow to to getting to the party. And that's one of the things I hope that we can see changing soon. Well, that's uh, that on wheels is be something different for us because the tiny houses we have is like a village and they're all uh -huh. stationary. So that's yes. another concept I'm going to share with the pastors, Pastor Seals and uh, Willis about that's something maybe they, maybe they can look at. So Jamie, okay. what, I wanted to find out what else you had coming up. Well, Ashley, we, um, we're going to be working on our fundraiser for this year for the Alopecia Support Group coming up in September um, here in Seattle. And we're just basically just trying to really spread more awareness when it comes to alopecia. And myself and Jewel are collaborating and working together to try to take this whole um, movement to a whole nother level. So I appreciate what she brings to the table when she has added a lot of value to me as a uh, from one sister to another so we're just spreading awareness and figuring out how we can work together to help each other out and you said the magazine is coming out when though february 21st february 21st of 2022 mm -hmm. we will be releasing volume six and will that include an article about miss jewel pearson it sure will. Well, all right, now that's what <laughs> yes it will <laughs> good looking out thank you for checking and make sure uh, yes, indeed. Now, I was just checking because, you know, uh, Jamie's really impressed. I've talked to her. She's really impressed with what you're doing. I'm super impressed with what you're doing. And Thank also give some ideas that can be uh, adopted in Seattle. The, the tiny house on wheels is, hey, that's that's a good one. I, I like that. And I will be sharing that information with the mayor and as well with, with the pastor, Willis, and with Seals and see what, you know, because uh, they have the capacity to actually build something. They have the pre-apprenticeship right. training program as well. That's beautiful. So uh, you said, Jamie, the, uh, uh, volume six of All Life Magazine is coming out when? February 21st. The 21st, okay. Yes. And so we got one of the featured guests on with us, how fortunate we are, Ms. Joel Pierce. Thank and, you for uh, having so, me. Yeah, I'm, I mean, Jamie sent me some stuff, and I'm going I'm to read a little bit more about what you're doing. Because like I said, if somebody's doing something good in any part of the country that's helping my people, hey, I'm open. I, I'm, hey, I'm not too proud to beg for, for solutions, okay? So, uh, uh, matter of fact, I want to have uh, probably uh, the pastors, uh, Seals and uh, uh, 
Reverend uh, Lawrence Willis give you a call and see about your information. Now, you have information on, on your website? Absolutely. Um, the Bohemian, the bohemianbrand.com. Yes, and I can uh, give you all of that information. I do have information there. I also have a website, Tiny House Trailblazers, um, where I share information. So um, my information is out there, and I'm absolutely open to um, additional conversations with groups that are, are interested in moving this forward. That's right. So, Jamie, I'm going to give you the last word. Thank you very much. I want to, uh, Mr. Jewel Pearson, Thank for you. all you're doing. Thank you so much. So we'll be able to use some of your information to help help some people back here. That's what it's all about. So, Jamie, you, you got the last word. Anything you want to say? Again, I want to thank you, um, Mr. Rye, for all that you do for always creating um, space for black and brown people and giving all of my guests an opportunity to be on your show. So thank you for being a pioneer and for us. And I'm just looking forward to continuing to spread awareness when it comes to alopecia and hair loss. So thank okay. you. And you got, you got a big event coming up when? Um, February 21st. That's our release of the magazine. And then our fundraiser will be in September of 2022. And before the, the fundraiser in September, there will be the March. And the parade. Yes, yes. Yeah. We're marching in a parade and Annapolis, Maryland, the ball bosses will be flying in from across the country for the second year in a row. So this is going to be amazing. Okay, thank you both of you very much for all the work. Thank you. And uh, I'll be thank you so much. Okay, all right now. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Bye bye. Okay, bye bye. I want to thank uh, the Port of Seattle's Diversity Contracting Office, Mia Rice, and Miss Josie Reagan and Lawrence Coleman, Sound Transit Labor and Civil Rights Office uh, with Leslie Award-winning Leslie Jones and John T. Robinson, uh, Miss Rosalind Wilson down in Accounts Payable. The City of Seattle's Purchasing and Construction Services Office with uh, Liz Alzier and the CTAC. I will be at uh, the Port of C- at the Black and Government's King's Ball with uh, sitting with uh, CTAC Bar Group LLC with Jerry Whitsett, Ron O'Neill, and Eddie Rye with another edition of Urban Forum Northwest. We'll speak with you again next week. Thank you very much, Eric.